0: Welcome back to the conclusion of Tropical Turpitude, a two-parter here on Life's Learning Curve. I'm Paul Hart, and in our last podcast, I retold an actual story with about this much embellishment. About 10 years ago, I was shooting and producing a 100% self-funded documentary slash motivational uh, video featuring my communicative good friend Greg from Key West. We were on day three of a seven-day shoot, and I would use interns from the local community college. Also, I had hired an old college friend of mine to drive down the equipment in his car and do production assistant jobs along the way. His name was Steve. Now, a little bit about Steve before we get going again. Steve was a few years older than me in his early 50s at that time and had been recently let go from his Fortune 500 company corporation job he loved the drive he loved the open road and this was his opportunity that would be something diverse for his state of mind something he needed but from the moment Steve entered town he was not the same guy he wasn't the same hard-working easygoing guy we knew back at home in the mid mid Midwest he was a high-volume consumer of beer and although Steve had a wife and kids back at home which I know he truly loved Steve had developed a wandering eye for women. He often made advances toward women while we were in Key West, grabbing them by one arm and uttering the pickup line, Can I just say, you you have the most beautiful face I think I've ever seen. I bet you get told that all the time, do you? After pulling Steve out of a couple of these mishaps with women and after Steve wandered away during our first major segment shoot, only to return inebriated knocking a glass table into a swimming pool, I I contacted by cell phone my 75 year old father for advice. (laughs) He still had the knowledge of a lifetime and I knew that if Steve kept this up, one of us or both of us might soon be arrested or worse. Hello? Just keep Steve distracted and do not let him close to the production. Make up jobs for him to do if you have to. My dad also said, And Paul, but most of all, don't worry. And now for the conclusion of Tropical Turpitude. This is the Life's Learning Curve Podcast. I'm Paul Hart. Stand by for the conclusion of... Tropical Turpitude After my phone call to my dad, I could feel reality again. All around me, the tropical night sky, I looked up and there it was. I got that old feeling back. Comfort, happiness. I felt better immediately. It was such a simple and practical piece of advice, but it didn't last long. I entered our hotel room and Steve was not there, so... I began reviewing the day's shoot. Now, earlier that day, we had shot Segment 1 at Fabiana's house. I felt strongly about the segment, and it was good. It had surpassed my expectations of what I needed. Greg's stories and metaphors for the documentary's concepts were direct and to the point, just like Greg himself. Looks good. Effective directness. Sounds like the title of one of the podcasts I'd make. With no interns from the college yet, it would just be Steve and me working production. After unloading one camera case, now we're at Fabiana's house for shoot, Steve disappeared. I'm outta here. Apparently he went to a neighborhood bar. A Disappointed beer? and frustrated with him, I'll take a beer. trying to keep on schedule, I continued without Steve. Now, it was evening, and I sat in my hotel room, Logging time code and reviewing video content from Fabiana's house, and after several seconds, I saw a misstep. That perfect interview with Greg, shot at Fabiana's house, oh, no. unusable. My heart sank. Greg's content was very good. The audio was leveled just fine. The cameras were focused and balanced, but there was an obvious distraction. Brought on by the sun's moving reflection, which often blinded Greg as he spoke. Now that would have been Steve's job. That day to literally block reflective sun with a large piece of cardboard. Around 9:30 that evening, I called my father again and explained the failure of segment one. Two times in one day I'm referencing my dad. This time More firmly, my dad advised me. Yeah, Paul, get Steve off that project immediately. Give him some made-up things to do. Just keep him busy. The next morning, Steve was still missing. He had not come back to our hotel room. I just hope he'd wound up safe somewhere, or gone somewhere safe. I wouldn't be able to make my shoot at the southernmost point without assistance. My permit was only good for two days, and the sun was already getting intense. There was no way to manage the equipment alone. At 9 a.m., Steve did return to the hotel room, blurry-eyed, smelling like a humid cocktail of beer and sweat. Steve wanted food. At this point, he was more unstable and sozzled than I had ever seen him. Yeah, I said sozzled. You you said food was on you, and I was at the Irish bar, and those guys came up to me and said I had to leave. (laughs) I went to the bar next door. I had to really not try and engage him in what was happening, but rather distract him so after steve took a shower and put on fresh clothes we sat drinking coffee and eating a buffet breakfast by the pool apparently steve needed very little sleep good morning it was interesting because steve became happier and cooperative. Uh, yeah. And there he was. Beautiful this day. was the guy I knew. Yeah. This was Steve. Beautiful day. I mm-hmm. used his sobriety to my advantage. We hustled the equipment down to Key West Bight, which is a large uh, harbor in town, and conducted one of the random interviews with a charter fisherman named Kyle. I managed the cameras and the show outline while Steve began to learn his purpose. Okay. Now, I had Steve ask Fisherman Kyle questions off camera from the script. I was able to show Steve how to get a written release from our interviewee. Steve and I got to talk about audio and gain and lighting and what's good and what to avoid with video. The morning sun was low and the breeze became relaxing. Almost right on cue. (laughs) And the overall effect was Full of content, and full of color, it was perfect. Fisherman Kyle was a very bright man and had just given us some thoughtful commentary. All was going well. Nope. Exiting the boat, Steve and I had a bucket full of fresh catch shrimp at one of the best local seafood places right on Key West Bight. Steve liked it there. Everyone always likes it there. It's a great restaurant. I told Steve that if he wanted a beer, he would have to pay for that himself from now on. Okay. He was agreeable to that. Okay. Okay? With only two beers under his belt, Steve and I walked back to the hotel to reset for the afternoon shoot, which was an interview with a respected author on our documentary's topic at about 3 p.m. So far to walk. As we walked to the hotel, Steve became less and less himself. I'll carry their briefcase. He was agitated, and he was verbal with passersby for some reason. The aggressive anger was now taking over again. As an attractive woman and her boyfriend passed us, Steve didn't even use his total mantra. Can I just tell you something, you have the most beautiful face I have ever- Nope, he skipped all that part. He just went to step two which turned out to be drunk a man grabbing a vacationing girl while saying, you're beautiful. Immediately I grabbed Steve by both shoulders and removed him from the area. This girl was terrified. I looked Steve in the eyes and I assigned him a distraction. I gave Steve production responsibilities. Well, that's what he thought he was getting, production responsibilities. Steve was befuddled by my response, and he was surprised that I was not scolding him. Instead, I told him how necessary he was to the project. But I needed him to do some things. Steve, I need you to scout and find seven diverse people, meaning different ages, male, female, people of different cultures to use for the interviews we're going to do tomorrow. Oh. You know, use your people skills just like when you worked in corporate. You're very good at that. Interviews. There was no response, but he just looked at me with a degree of respect and he nodded slowly. He looked left and right. Once again, Steve disappeared into the cruise ship Tourists and the locals of Key West But this time he was still Holding my briefcase It was All he would agree to carry So would I see it again? No No. My briefcase exists Somewhere in Key West to this day Full of Show notes, contacts, script notes Agendas uh, Phone numbers, cue cards Release forms And incidentally, best of luck to whoever found that. That afternoon, I shot a couple of other interviews by myself, but did not care for the content particularly. The afternoon sky became dark with storm squalls. It didn't look tropical anymore. I headed back to the hotel to reorganize, and there were whitecaps on the gulf. Just one more unexpected production stall. I called our 3 p.m. author interview and rescheduled that shoot for the last day in town. We could shoot it then. Storms were brewing everywhere around and on the island that night, and the rain would cool me off a bit, but the humidity was practically 99% of times. I was kind of happy I was back in our hotel room by myself in the air conditioning. It was just me at our hotel. I was getting tired of babysitting Steve. I logged in the day's footage and notes into my computer. On stationery from the hotel, I made a revised, doable schedule. So having a crew was necessary. What had failed in segment one was the glare. The glare. The sun can be a monster in the keys. You can easily accidentally achieve a really dim underlined shot with a huge white blown-out background, or you could have uh, shots entirely overlit. With proper prime lenses, with proper f-stop shutter speeds, all being in play, mistakes can be made or corrected for a segment. For me, it made segment one unusable. Also, in the five days we were there, I needed at least 10 to 12 diverse people for interviews. Not too hard, but so far I had only gotten one good one. And finally, I needed to shoot some B roll or cutaway shots, and those would be the shots that helped define what Greg was trying to say. I toyed with the idea that we might do some recreations while we were down there. You know, like you see so often on network news magazine shows where they recreate what really happened. but. I realized that could be done indoors back home in the mid-midwest. So I prepped, and I charged all the gear for the next day. Steve stumbled in around 2.30 a.m. I am home. The next day, our schedule had us focused on four things. One, good weather, and that we got. Two, getting many interviews completed, and Three, training and monitoring the college interns. I felt very fortunate to have production interns from the local college. They are anxious to assist in our production. They had heard about it, and they were going to show up at the southernmost point at 10 a.m. And the fourth thing that we needed to accomplish that day, we would shoot segment two with Greg in the mid-afternoon. Steve couldn't make the shoot that morning. He told me... I don't feel well. Maybe it's a bug going around or something. He told me. I paid 20 smackaroos to the concierge man at our hotel to help me lug equipment and set up a tiny 3x3 space for interviews at the southernmost point of Key West by 10 a.m. The concierge man had to return to work before it was noticed he was gone. He was a kind guy and grateful for the change of pace in his day. That day I remember it being sunny and breezy at the southernmost point. Many people stood in line to have their photo taken next to this large cement monolith which reads something along the lines of Key West, southernmost point in the United States of America. At 10.15 I was still by myself. None of the interns had showed up that day. When I called their college teacher and advisor, Mr. Withrow, for help, he came down to the chute. Great, I thought, somebody to help. He told me, They're just 20-year-old kids. You can't depend on them. It's hot out there. What? Gotta go. I'm out of here. The teacher, Mr. Withrow, then left, feeling let down, feeling anxious. To my surprise, something happened. Steve showed up, sober as a judge. Now, we immediately shot three interviews, and one, I knew the content was particularly strong. As Steve got handwritten releases, we had to do it that way, remember, because the printed releases were lost in Key West somewhere with my briefcase, probably still celebrating in some bar. I lost that. And Steve also helped keep the continuity. Nice, that helped me a lot but complained. He was annoyed with the student interns, and he said, These kids are so lazy and full of themselves these days. No good. That they couldn't even call or bother to show up. Pointless. Oh, the irony. We spent a good two hours at this location, which was abundant with all kinds of tourists from different places kids don't have strong work ethic these days. They do inferior work and you know what happens? Then management gives them your job. Okay. Well, that possibly put together how Steve may have lost his job, but he seemed to have no idea his words were defining himself on this project. Soon a local policeman came and told us to move along. Even though we had a permit, we did need varied locations, so we went directly to the northwest docks to shoot anyone that could expound on our topics. Hello, gentlemen. We found a very bright and a very verbal and relaxed 20-something guy named Ben. He was fishing, and we immediately liked Ben. I'd love to help you out. The setting was great. The filtered sun was perfect for what we needed. And, best of all, Ben was interesting. Steve was now busy being a production assistant and was finally buying into his job. Even though Ben talked an awful lot about drug addiction, I knew that his vague drug references could be modified and edited. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Ben's on cameras were strong and we thanked him and we moved along after the release form. Have a good day. Now we had two possible strong interviews. Key West in the summertime brings strong tropical sun slash intense heat slash humidity. And after lugging around equipment, it was around 1 PM or so. And I suggested that Steve and I get something, some water, some lunch or something to sit and cool us off. So we grabbed some lunch on Deval Street. A traumatic loss of the interns had turned a morning of frustration into one of productivity. I thanked Steve for showing up at the southernmost point and I echoed how great it was to have him on the team. Hey, well done, man. I could see that Steve was pleased. Good job. We talked about many things that day during that lunch. Yeah, I still need Sarah to work at least three more years in her current job. She has a high-end job, you know, in the corporate world. And by the way, we need to buy more beer. Then from Steve's pocket, he pulled out several crumpled napkins and showed me the people he had scouted from the night before for interviews. Remember as a distraction, I had told Steve, I need you to shoot and find at least seven diverse people, meaning different ages, male, female, people of different cultures to use for your interviews tomorrow. Just use your people skills like you did when you worked corporate. So, on several cocktail napkins, Steve had gathered the phone numbers of about seven women of no diversity at all. Just ones he kind of liked. And he told me that he just did the old. Hey. Hey, I'm making a movie down here in Key West. Do you want to be in my movie? You're quite beautiful. Has anybody ever told you that? (laughs) He never gave me any of the. Phone numbers, and quite frankly, I never asked for them. He told me, Wait till you see this blonde one. That had been a wild goose chase I had sent him on to keep him busy and engaged. However, the next sentence, it was then my entire week in Key West, and my entire budget and project was torpedoed. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. It was at that point that Steve told me he would be driving up to see the performing dolphins near Isla Morada in the middle of the Keys tomorrow. He told me, I don't like doing this kind of work and I wanna be on vacation. I had to address this head on and I told him, Steve, you're voiding our signed work contract. I don't care. You're on a roll, Steve, here. You're learning stuff. You're succeeding. You're making good things happen. Come on. I don't care. I only have three more days to shoot this. Three more days. We have an agreement. We have a signed contract. Our permits are for now. They're for this week. And then I reminded him. Steve. Your family is counting on you. They think you're down here working. They want you down here working." Steve had no reply, only a stare. After a beat, Steve said, Well, I'll tell you what. Let's shoot segment two at, what is it, 3 o'clock with Greg, right? Yes, we have a shoot at 3 o'clock with Greg. "Okay, Steve. I want you to really think about this. In the next hour, Steve and I worked as a team, together, to load reflectors, cameras, cases, audio, cables, everything, oh into the trunk of his car. We had been using my rent car all week and he felt like pitching in and driving his car. He had driven Good. from Illinois and he likes to drive. Thank you. Then we took about an hour to cool off from the humidity and the scalding sun and it was hot. So we sat in our hotel room and the air conditioning and talked about all kinds of things. We talked about our families and our kids and how much we love them. We traded some job stories and we swapped stories about college days, which was great. It was reflective, it was necessary, and full of good humor. We both needed to find the people that we once knew a long time ago, but in a more positive way. After about 20 minutes, Steve went to use the bathroom, and I felt grateful that we had talked and kind of found each other as the friends we were prior to coming here. Steve emerged and said, uh, Do I have enough time for a cigarette outside? Sure, we have about five minutes, Steve. Okie dokie. I did hear the motor start, but I was sure it was not Steve. I was wrong. That was the last time I saw Steve until the night before we left for home. I am so out of here. Steve had just driven out of town with just around 100000 dollars worth of my production equipment in his car. Steve spent the next two and a half days in Isla Morada doing who knows what? Yeah, I beer. With what I imagine to have been a very high volume of beer. <laughs> oh I knew what I had to do next, but do I, do? I did not like what might be the possible consequences of my actions. I can't do that. So instead, I called my dad. We talked. Call the police. Next I called his wife, Sarah. Uh, we talked. Call the police. Each one told me the same thing, to call the police. Why does he do this? I felt bad for Sarah, Steve's wife. It seemed that like she was more aware of Steve's behaviors than I had previously thought. The police were not able to pin Steve down during that two and a half days. He wasn't a missing person and I couldn't say he actually stole equipment yet. I just needed to wait a day or two to see if he'd return. So I found myself in Key West with no equipment except for my computer and my lost briefcase somewhere in town. I still had my hotel room and plenty of time for prayer. I had never thought to resource an expert in Key West on this type of topic and what was going on with Steve, you know, somebody in town. I hadn't wanted to pester Greg with my production issues, but yet he was close to the project. Sometimes it's hard to fail miserably in front of the person you're wanting to prove yourself to. When I called Greg to cancel the shoot that day, immediately his response was, You're having trouble with Steve, aren't you? Why don't you come on down the store? I did just that. Yeah, Greg, it looks like I chose the wrong production assistant this time. Greg and I kept it professional. I did not go into details about what had happened, but for the next two days, Greg distracted me. He let me sit in the store he owned just off of Duval Street, and he told me stories of Vietnam and what those experiences had taught him and how some of these memories are often too hard to revisit. He chuckled and good-naturedly kidded with me. Hey, this might be your Vietnam. He spoke of his modest life growing up in Pennsylvania, tending to the family coal mine, and sometimes eating only with one large spoon. His decision to join the army, and he chose to exit his hometown walking down Independence Avenue. He spoke of all these amazing people he met throughout his life. Some were just regular people, and some were generals, and some were governors, and some were published authors, and how. Quite often, they took a liking to him because they saw something special in him that maybe he hadn't seen himself. And they mentored him, from how to eat a four-course dinner when he was younger to outputting and publishing his first books. Greg told me, When I was young, I was going to live forever. I was going to be the first person to ever live forever. But there came a time when things changed and I learned the difference. Now I realize that it was Greg who was mentoring me. You know that feeling when you're very, very young and you're riding in the car with your family and your dad's driving the car and you feel absolutely safe. This was how I felt for that two and a half days minus Steve and minus 100 grand of my equipment. Only once did Greg advise me, By the way, Paul, no matter how mad Steve gets at you, keep a calm, quiet tone, and even one getting him to refocus and getting him back to reality. Keep it calm. Each day I left a note for Steve on the front door of our hotel room, just in case he returned and wanted to find me. On my last night in town, I heard my cell phone ring. It was Steve. We still planning on steak tonight? Steve. Steve, where are you? You okay? Yeah, I'm back in town. Let's talk. Is all my equipment still in your trunk? What? Uh, I forgot all about it. Yeah. Yeah, it should be there. I didn't even open my trunk for three days. Or did I? See you at eight. Then I heard a dial tone. Just like in the movies. Did you ever notice how no one ever says goodbye in the movies? There's just like a dial tone or they hang up. Now, it kind of seemed just appropriate. Just a dial tone. No goodbye. This final night in town was supposed to be our production's rap celebration. However, the reality was that at... 8 p.m., I was led up to the booth I had reserved at the Steak and Lobster House in Key West. As I climbed up the stairs, I realized that I had not ever experienced that many highs and that many lows in such a short period of time. Steve loves steak, and I wondered if that was the reason he came back to town that night. A steak dinner. Or would he come clean about the overconsumption of beer in the womanizing? Steve arrived a few minutes later with a big smile on his face. Uh, I'm here. To our left, we enjoyed a gentle, fresh open-air vista and palm trees swayed gently in the gentle, tropic breeze. To my right, about 30 or 40 well-dressed people, happy and contented diners, were enjoying the day's fresh catch and quietly chatting with a three-piece jazz combo filling out the ambiance. I'll have the lobster. My documentary's reality laid bare in my head. We had spent the week in Key West shooting a motivational slash documentary. However, we had not succeeded or even completed the shoot, but failed. Steve had quite a few tales of adventure and conquests from Isla Murata up in the Keys. Steve was happy, he was giddy, he was very content, he was clear-headed, he was upbeat, and why not? Up to this point, he had all his meals and travel accommodations paid for. I listened. We each got a steak, and when the steak arrived, Steve lifted his glass of beer, smiled, and actually loudly toasted so the whole restaurant could hear. Even though there were a few problems, I think this week's movie shoot has been a total success. We did very well. And then I remembered Greg's advice. By the way, Paul, no matter how mad Steve gets at you, keep a calm, quiet tone. And even one getting him to refocus and getting him back to reality, keep it calm but my blood was boiling. Steve, I did not shoot even a quarter of our shot list because I had to babysit you. And then you totally skipped town with my equipment and you stayed out of contact for almost three days. And are you telling me right now it's all good? No. There was a slight pause and then Steve began yelling at me in the nicest steak and lobster house in town. Lots of F-words. They were flying left and right. You know what? Forget you. Forget you. Forget you. Except he wasn't saying forget. The entire restaurant became silent. I'm gonna hurt you so bad. I met some guys up at the Keys that'll mess you up. I'm going to dump all your precious equipment into the ocean, so deal with that. And I will ruin this movie thing. I know people. The documentary? Yeah, the movie you're making. I know people that can do it. It's a documentary. Steve's screaming tirade was not ending, but escalating. And I'm sure the customers and staff looked on with discomfort and trepidation. And I'm sure 911 was being dialed somewhere. They witnessed me being yelled at and F-bombed by Steve, my production assistant. And I don't ever address attacks of any kind. I'm kind of the uh, Jim Rockford, James Garner model. Avoid it. Steve stood up and threw his beer at me. Missing, but splashing the woman at the table behind me. Her husband stood up angrily. I saw a possible Three Stooges episode building here. I was out of my element I got up and I sprinted down the steps and somehow paid the bill quickly that part's still a blur to me oh, thanks. I knew that if I left Steve's tantrum might cease Sorry for the commotion. I began to walk aimlessly around Key West oh my it was nighttime. it was dark my adrenaline was rushing my brain would not regroup what just It couldn't find the logic I wondered if This past week was a common type of week for most people. I wondered if I should have ignored Steve's behaviors all week and just went with it. Is this? No. Is this normal? My need of safety led me past my friend Greg's store. What is happening? I knew it would not still be open. Greg closes at 8 PM and it was about 9.30. But I peered in through the darkness of the front of the store and saw in the far back room There was Greg, and he was working in the back room. It was a blessing from above. I tapped lightly on the glass, and a surprised Greg let me in with a friendly... Come on in. What you doing out this late? I explained the situation and finally retold my experiences, all of them, with Steve. Alcohol had hindered him in our shoot all week. I explained that... Tonight, Steve lost it and threatened me at the lobster and steakhouse. And before the night was through, he was going to destroy the show and dump my equipment into the Gulf of Mexico. Greg's response was not what I expected. He turned and looked at me. And the following conversation is etched in my brain. There are certain things throughout your life you remember forever, and this conversation is one of them. He chuckled a little. And he said, (laughs) Paul, this type of thing is fairly common around here. People can't handle the liquor and the tropical island. It's too much at one point for a lot of people. A lot of people just can't handle it. Listen, Steve will either do one, come back in the room and pretend nothing has happened, or two, he'll be so smashed he won't be able to function beyond being angry but not at you but at the world and because that's really who he's mad at he won't remember a thing he said or did i can tell you this though nobody's gonna hurt you tonight i would get that equipment out of his trunk though go back home go to your room get your equipment and get some sleep Uneasy, I walked to the hotel. I couldn't believe how casually Steve had wasted my time, my investment, everything he'd come down there for to help all week. Steve needed a scapegoat for his problems. I guess that was me. He needed someone to feel as badly as he did. Well, Greg was right, because at about 3 a.m., Steve stumbled through the door, the back door of our hotel room, pretending not to recall any of the entire evening except for one thing. Steve woke me up off the couch, and he wanted to tell me that he was going to throw my equipment from his trunk into the Gulf of Mexico tomorrow. And then he fell soundly to sleep in the bed, which I paid for all week. But thanks to some good advice, earlier that night when I had gotten in, I had easily found Steve's keys and transferred the equipment into my possession again. Greg had advised me to ship everything home. So the next morning, I went to my good friend's store, and Greg and his store manager boxed and shipped $100,000 worth of gear back to the mid-mid-midwest, avoiding the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico to this day Greg and I still kinda kid about it he'll text me and say I saw a couple of lights and a camera floating in the uh, Gulf today I wondered if it was yours got your name on it (laughs) Steve somehow did make it home And he and his wife only had a few more months before they finally split. As for me, I learned something. I learned a lot of things. (laughs) I had just taken the most severe curve in what life teaches us. By September, the documentary was completed. I went back, got some great people, edited, and I output the show for the masses. Look for it in the show notes. Steve, on the other hand, kind of evaporated from public life and from social media, and I do truly wish him well. And I wish him a clear head and sobriety. After all, it was Steve that gave me seven days of adventure, way outside of my comfort zone that I will never forget. Some happy, some not so happy, most definitely costly. Like I said things don't always turn out exactly the way that you plan. The past week, what happened at a shotgun's pace, from day one shooting segment one to days later, your foundation becomes quicksand and you're at the whim of your former good friend from your past. Now, these days, these are just memories to me, and I remember the adjustments. I remember the mentors, the people that helped me. I remember praying for direction. And I remember losing a longtime good friend. Life will scar you, and it will also surprise you sometimes, you know, in a good way, because it's taken me about 10 years to be able to look back and even talk about this. Now I find it easier to connect the dots. The irony, what I haven't told you throughout these two entire podcasts was the theme of the documentary we were making. This was a motivational documentary on being the best person you can be. (laughs) And in the meantime, in the background, it sold well and hopefully it helped other people. All thanks to some great people who took an interest in me. God bless you all. For Life's Learning Curve, I'm Paul Hart. Life's Learning Curve podcast is put together by producer Paul Hart with assistance by Charles Hines, Michelle Suckery, and S.T. Dodd. We're mixed by Heidi Cerner, technical director Ted MacArthur. As always, music and audio assistance by Riley Hart. Some voices were altered to enhance production entertainment. Visit our website, lifeslearningcurve.buzzsprout.com. Special thanks to consultant Clay Gregor. Find our documentary link in the show notes. The best you're best at. As always, don't forget to choose the like button on Facebook. Find us again where you're listening right now. And almost everywhere else, podcasts are heard. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon with more from Life's Learning Curve.